This podcast is brought to you by On Track Studio. It's sad because it's like the fact that he thought that made him do what he did and, and probably made him think that he wasn't worth anything anymore or didn't have anything left to give because all he was was those bad decisions and it's like I feel like that's such a, a massive thing for us it's like we are not the things we do we're not the things we think we're not the things we feel like yeah they affect us but that doesn't define who you are as a person. Welcome to episode three of Human Beings podcast. I am Josh Sherwell hosting alongside Ailish Healy and Mitch Parkinson. We need to break it down and give you a trigger warning right from the get-go. Today's topic is suicide. Um, If you do feel triggered by anything that's discussed within this podcast, please do reach out to whether it be friends, family, um, or Lifeline, Beyond Blue, Lifeline's number is 131114 and Beyond Blue's number is 1300-224636. Um, full disclosure, we are not medical professionals in any way of the sense. Uh, we will be speaking to you raw um, from personal experiences and this topic in particular um, holds a lot of significance to all three of us but mainly at this time of year with Ailish. If you want to elaborate on that a bit more, please. So... This year, this week, uh, specifically two days ago, on the 2nd of March, uh, marks 16 years since I lost my dad to suicide. So it seems like a very long time, but still very raw. Um, Doesn't feel like 16 years. Time's kind of irrelevant in these sorts of topics. So we're doing this um, in memory of him, so to... Michael Joseph Healy, rest in peace. Um, I just think it'd be good to shed some light on such a taboo topic and um, it's a perfect time of year to be doing it. So, yeah, this is a memory of him. And he'd be so proud of you for doing this. Amen. It's a big one. So, um, as you can imma- like imagine already, only a minute in, like there's probably going to be some tears during mm-hmm. this podcast. Um, we're going to give it to you as raw as possible, having all three of us experience suicide in one way or the next in our life and obviously in memory of, of Ailish's father. And we really want to do what we can in the hope that maybe if someone is in that dark place that they can realise that there is light at the end of the tunnel and, you know, we're all in this together. Ailish, let's run through some statistics because after doing some research before at home, it's actually quite alarming. Yes, yeah, so we'll get the, the facts right in there. Um So, according to the World Health Organization, um, around 800,000 people each year um, successfully, um, I don't want to use the word commit, but die from suicide. Um, But for each of these attempts, um, sorry, for each of these successful um, attempts, there are 20 more. So, that's 16 million people a year that are attempting to take their own life. if I break it down, that's one person every 40 seconds globally, that is. And that, that's come from the um, World Health Organization, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's just insane. Um, but more like closer to home in Australia, there's, um, according to Beyond Blue, there's nine suicides a day um, and men average seven of those. So that's quite high. 
Wow. Yeah. It's really, um, it's, it's frightening. It's frightening statistics. And it's the second leading cause of death between um, people from the ages of 15 to 29. So if you really think about the average life expectancy of people in the world, it's around 87.5, I think we saw. Yeah, I just set it up before and I believe, yeah, it was like 81.7. 81.7. So that's not even a quarter of the life expectancy. And yeah, 15 to 29, some hard years. Um, And yeah, so it's the second leading cause of death between people of that age. Um, And taking it back, suicide dates back to ancient Athens. So it's been around for a long, long, long time. Um, And still now in this day, it's not really spoken about very much. Um, We live in a society where um, it's, you know, at the moment with topic discussion generally in the public, um, we've opened up a lot. People talk about being in same-sex relationships or, you know, if you want to change your sex, um, people are open to talking about that. But suicide is a topic that is still very much quiet. And um, due to the pandemic as well, obviously, um, we've all heard that those those numbers are, are higher because people are in isolation and obviously going through a range of hardship that was unforeseen. So I think it's very important that we shed some light on what suicide is um, because it is affecting so many people and, yeah, it's just – it's frightening is the only word I can use really. Yeah, that's right. And I just want to, like, backtrack quickly. I, I, I like the fact you didn't want to use the word commit and I think, like, it's something we discussed a bit earlier when we are doing about our fact-checking. Um, this is, like – suicide is still a criminal – act in a lot of countries mm-hmm. and so when you commit a crime like that's the word that's used and i really really respect the fact that you didn't want to use that word when talking about it um i think the language which we use around it is also going to make it um a bit more easier for us to speak about it i think rather than criminalizing a topic like this because it's not yeah like having all three of us experience it like you know it's not a criminal act it's it's an act of <sighs> It's hard to even say because for myself personally, like when I was going through my suicidal thoughts, it was a, it was a quit it. Mm. Like it was, it wasn't a crime. It was just me just calling it in, yeah, and saying that enough was enough and escape. Yeah, correct. So I um, I do respect what you said before about not wanting to use the word commit. Yeah, well, it's you know when you when you look back into um, history with suicide. um, As we've said, it it still is a crime now in some countries. but globally, it was basically a crime um, until pretty recently. Um, there's so so to kind of a short version of it. Um, it was frowned upon. It was obviously illegal. Um, if you successfully um, took your own life, I guess um, you were denied denied a proper burial. So a lot of the time, um, your belongings were confiscated by the crown. Um, you were sometimes even charged, which I don't even understand how that's possible because you're dead. Yeah, um, some, of the, some of the countries that we saw, and we're not going to name any of the countries, um, but basically, like, I don't understand how murder can be the conviction for a suicide, mm. you know, fatality. Really? Yeah. Yeah. So there's numerous 
like assisting in suicide is another one. So like, I I don't want to you know assume, but like you'd hate to think that someone's family then gets brought into the firing line because maybe your dad's committed suicide mm. Mm. or something along those lines. But unfortunately, like a lot of Africa, um, it's still a fair bit of Africa. It's illegal to commit suicide, and a lot of them is even like even if you attempt suicide in some of the countries, it's a it's a criminal offence just to attempt it. So like it's, this stigma is built up, like Ailish said, since ancient Athens where they refused at, like burials and they would drag bodies through the street. It's, it's actually horrific if you look into it. And it's sort of what we we're saying, like it's, it's, it's ancestral trauma. Mm. It's stuff that we, like, we weren't even aware of until we started fact-checking. Like obviously you can go and Beyond Blue and, yeah. and Lifeline and stuff and who and find out statistics. But like, when you actually start going back even further and realising that this has been something since you know, 1200 BC where suicide was frowned upon because at that, at that time God was the only one who could decide whether you died or not. Really? Well, that's what they're saying. Wow. Mm. Like their religious doctrine specified that God was the one to determine when you died so that if you committed suicide, it was a, you know, a sin and it was against the law. And so, yeah, I, I personally believe like having learned a lot about trauma and, you know, speaking with you, you two both, you know, over the last 12 months about trauma um, that, you know, it's probably a lot that we don't realise comes from ancestral trauma from way, way back. The fact that it has, this stigma has been around since 1200 BC is just insane. Yeah. And, like, even today that we live in such an open society, yet still mm. the word suicide just puts people in a defence mode straight away. Yeah, it's like a subject that sometimes as a teenager it's like, oh, it's just, you know, you're just pleading for attention. It's like, mm-hmm. well, it's not in some respects, serious. yeah, like the seeking help, like, going through something challenging, like why would you not want to reach out to people? And I do, I do want to like touch on that, like reaching out to people because obviously nowadays we have the Are You OK Day, mm. which is awesome. Like I, I am a big um, advocate for that. Um, it's a great day for people to check in with their loved ones, but the actual question of Are You OK, which is what they promote on that day, um, I feel is not enough um it's obviously not working because the numbers are still very high and it's an easy easily deflected question so it's the same obviously here in australia you see someone you say how you going yeah good thanks how are you yeah good Mm. it's like saying hello so we had that discussion discussion sorry with connor in the previous episode when you say how you going with someone he's like Mm. i hate that like yeah it's it's, just it's it's not even a question it's an empty question yeah so i think when you ask people and look there's nothing bad about asking someone if they're okay it's something we all do um but i think when it does come to people that are going through something or you can sense or you you visually can see that someone's struggling asking the question are you okay doesn't isn't necessarily the right thing to do one as i said because it's easily deflected um, and two, because it, you're not actually giving someone the space to talk about if they're wanting to kill themselves. So my sister went to, um, unfortunately I don't have the name of the, of the man that ran the workshop, but I'll be able to get it um, and probably put it in, in the description. But my, obviously um, suicide's affected our whole family. Um, so me and my older sister and my younger sister have obviously dealt with a lot from losing dad 
but my sister took it upon herself to go to a workshop or a talk about suicide um, and the biggest push in that workshop was if you are worried about someone, you need to ask outright and specific, are you thinking about suicide or are you thinking about killing yourself? That's so confronting, isn't it? Yeah. Like even just hearing, like hearing you say that, and we, we've spoken about this before as well, like even just to hear it is like it takes a lot of courage, I mm. believe, to ask that question, but then it takes even just as much, if not more, to then answer that question, honestly. Yeah, but by doing so, you people can't deflect that. Like obviously there will probably still be people that would say, oh, no, but it's, it's a yes or no question. It's like are you okay is very – there's so many answers you can give to that. But if you specifically and bluntly ask someone, are they thinking about – taking their own life or using the word suicide is very important too. So are you thinking about suicide? Someone then you've, – you've gone to the effort of like being brave and asking that question for one because there's a lot of backlash with that and you're allowing them space to answer and allowing – or they're then able to see that you actually care enough to ask that. And the biggest thing that um, the workshop said as well is – people will be offended. So if you ask someone that when they're sad or if they're going through something, a lot of people will say, no. Like as if you would think I would do that. Why would you think I would do that? Which obviously shows the stigma around it for one. But also you can then specify, obviously you're asking from a place of care. But if someone is offended by that and chooses to then say not be your friend anymore, you'd rather lose that friendship than lose a friend. So at least you've asked that question. At least you've gone out of your way to specify what it is, one that they're thinking about and one that you're worried about, and then they're able to answer that freely. So, yeah, it's using the – like, as we've said, it's such a – it's a topic that has so much negative stigma around it and it's something that a lot of people will say we have to talk about more, but people are scared to use the word suicide or they're scared to ask people that specific question. Do you think it comes back to, like you said before, because you can offend someone? Do you think people are just afraid of offending others? Yeah, and I do think it's a fear thing as well. Like, what do you do if you ask your friend, are you thinking about suicide, and they say yes? What The pressure is then on you. You yeah. put the pressure on yourself to be like, oh, my God, I don't have – what do I do to help? How can I help? Yeah. How do you bring someone out of that? And, that, you know, obviously we do have things like Beyond Blue. We have Lifeline. We have these things. But people are uneducated on how to properly – help or guide someone navigate that, that yeah. space yeah. yeah and i like i think we'll definitely touch on that soon i i want to ask you like if you're open to talk about like mm. how how your father you know taking his life affected your family like what can you give us a bit of a if insight back, if you can yeah of course of course it's definitely time <laughs> i've spoken about it a lot so it's it's not super hard it's obviously very raw still um but basically the back shortened backstory because there's so much to it um i'm from england originally um we were all meant to move here as a family so me my mom um my dad my two sisters were all meant to move to australia as a family um things went a bit sour dad was doing a lot of cocaine he was in the stock market so high energy industry um sometimes just comes with the job um, they got a divorce and the plan was that we were still going to move here. Um, and I remember being nine, I probably just turned nine around then, and um, 
I was at dad's house and he said, if you move to Australia, I'll have nothing to live for. And I was nine, like I didn't really know what that meant. Um, but I told mum. And now that I'm older, we, obviously me and her have had the conversation that that obviously frightened the hell out of her because there is so many murder-suicides that happen where parents take their kid's life and then do it to themselves. So she was so scared to leave us in his custody um, and obviously worried about his mental state too. But as a parent, it's like you just want to protect your kids. So um, about a year after that, maybe not, not even that long, um, she packed up all our stuff and we got home in after school one day and we moved to Australia the next morning without saying goodbye to anyone. Um, and then two months after that, dad took his own life. So he, um, trigger warning, obviously, but um, yeah, he went to somewhere close to where we lived and he, um, yeah, hung himself from a tree. So... Obviously, we're on the other side of the world, so we didn't really know what was going on until someone, one of mum's friends or a family member, I can't even remember, called and just said, oh, I'm so sorry to hear about Michael. And we didn't even know what had happened. So, and it's hard because I remember being, we'd literally just moved to Australia two months before. So our whole life is, you know, up and gone. We're trying to make new friends, trying to settle into a school. And then suddenly you become the kid that, dad just died and people are asking you what happened and you have to tell them that he died from suicide so instantly it's like the trauma was hectic and it's like I still deal with it now it's it's all of us do um and I remember growing up and lying to people like people would be like oh you're from England like what does your family do like where's your mum and dad or who are you here with and I say oh yeah I just live with mum and my sisters and like oh what does your dad do I'm like oh he just lives in England because it's like how do you have that conversation as a kid? So, Especially in school. Yeah, so much judgment. Like people – and I remember telling like even my friend's parents because they ask as well. And then, you know, sometimes with friend's parents you feel a little bit safe to talk about more adult things, I guess. And I remember talking to them about it and it's like the looks that you'd get. Like I still remember some of my friend's parents looking at me and it's like – I don't know. It's just like – they th- like, all I could think when I was a kid was, like, oh, they think my family's fucked. Like, they judgment. Yeah, they instantly think, like, should my child be hanging out with this person? You know, it's, like, it's a massive thing to comprehend as a child. Um, you know, if you're lucky enough to be born with both parents, they're the people that teach you how to live. They're supposed to show you how the world works and what happens. And then, at, you know, I was, it was 12 days before my 10th birthday. And as a child, I was like, wow, life's obviously not that great if my dad chose to do that. So it was a lot to process and it split my family apart a lot. Um, My family in England will have to forgive me, but it was, you know, when people die from suicide, you look for someone to blame and mum was that person for a lot of people. We got death threats from people in my family back home, um... My best friend in England, his mum got bashed by my auntie because she thought that she knew that, like, my friend's mum knew where we were, but nobody did. And it was like we played this game of running away. Like, we ran away from them and we ran away from the blame game. Um, and I remember my auntie said to my mum, if you come to the funeral, if you come back to England to the funeral, you're going to be knocked out. 
So I never got to go to my dad's funeral, which is hard. Really hard. So it just shows, like, there's so much. Obviously, suicide itself is so crazy. Like, it's such a hard thing to to comprehend and to comprehend what someone's going through in that, you know, when they're in that mental state. But the repercussions on other people is so big. Mm. So big. And it's taken us probably all this time to, like, reconnect. Like, I remember going back to England and talking to my family and it's like this looming question of you know why did you why did you blame my mom or like I've never asked those questions because it's like I not that I want to keep it in the past but it's like I understand that that was their way of grieving you know and it's different like we lost a dad mum lost her ex-husband and the father to her kids and then it's like my auntie's lost their brother like there's so many different aspects to that grief and who you're losing and what part of your life you're losing and it's like where do you go who do you blame because you can't ask the question, like, why did you do it? It's the, the, the ultimate unanswered question in that situation. And that's why it is so important that we talk about it. Because there needs to be preventative steps in making sure that, like, there's al- almost gates to cross before someone gets to that point. Like, we need to be able to ask people if they're sad, like, are you thinking about this? Because... That question, like, I often wonder, like, if my dad was openly upset, obviously, when we left. Like, I've heard plenty of stories come out of the woodwork with people saying he rocked up at their house in the middle of the night, you know, just needing someone to talk to or... And, you know, I'm talking about 16 years ago, so the stigma back then was worse than what it is now. You know, we're having this podcast, we're talking about this, but back then it was, like, being openly homosexual was hard, you know? So it's like going to your family and saying that you want to take your own life, that's hard too. And there wasn't a lot of, you know, lines you could call or people you could talk to professionally about that without having a real backlash from it. So I often wonder, you know, during that time, and it just comes to like being uneducated, like during that time when dad was obviously reaching out to people, if someone had asked him that question, like maybe that could have... Been different. Yeah, maybe it could have. But it's like... There's a lot of shame around today. Oh. On all aspects, eh? It's Especially cr- when, it's crazy. like, knee-jerk response. When I first told my father about my suicidal thoughts and how I was feeling, I was only 15 at the time. He called it cowardly. Mm-hmm. And like, it's a very common word. I love my use. dad. Mm-hmm. We fight all the time still, but I fucking love my dad. Excuse my language. Um, we don't agree on everything, but like since then, like I've forgiven him for thinking that way. And I think seeing as we've had friends of family, you know, take their own lives that he's sort of, you know, changing his tone a bit to it, Mm -hmm. but obviously everyone's entitled to their own opinion and I respect everyone's opinion regardless of whether I agree with it or not. But, um, it's a generational thing as well. Like Mm -hmm. your dad probably didn't have the, like you said, didn't have the support when he was calling out for that help and back then they and even still now some people don't have like we said don't have the tools to navigate that space when someone drops a bomb like that and says this is how i'm feeling yeah Yeah, for sure and so that's why like right now i just say in the middle of this podcast i'm so grateful for you two that we can speak so openly about these topics because you two know all my deepest darkest secrets yeah and i know yours you know and and Again, this we said in every episode, this is what the podcast is about so that people can start to realise that these conversations are can be normalised between close friends. Yeah, mm. 100%. To make, to make yourself realise that you're not alone in this shit. Mm. Mm. I'm very grateful for both of you as well. 
Love you. <laughs> I love you too. <laughs> there's this, I, I don't know, like on a personal level too, like there's been a lot of confrontation, you know, I've dealt with those thoughts, you know, predominantly my whole, what you, I'm trying to think back, you know, like most of my life. Mm. And a lot of the times when I've spoken about it to friends or family, it's like, why the fuck would you think of that? Like, you know, that's so stupid. Like, yeah. And then it's like, no one stops to ask why. On top, yeah. You know, and it's. Yeah, you're already oh, feeling, you know, you're feeling you're trying bad. Trying to grab for some space. attention and, you know, bless the years that I got to play in a band because it was one of the biggest things I tried to promote is that, like, you're allowed to feel that way. Mm-hmm. It's all part of who we are. And I, I personally feel like the, the more we can have these discussions, the more people can move through that and grow from it. You know, there was a, a beautiful quote one of my, my friends told me years ago and it was Alan Watts. And he had a young man come to him and said, you know, I want to, I think I might have even said this in the first podcast, was I want to I kill myself. And he said, that's okay, you're allowed to, mm. you know, because... I know from my experiences with it, it's felt like I've had no other option. And like we were talking about in the car, you know, with like financial stress and emotional stress and all of those things, it's like a compounding like level of pain and a a way to try and get out of it. If the drugs aren't working or the booze isn't working or, you know, the social media or the TV or the food or whatever it is, it's like, you know, and again, the, Gratitude for you two, like the conversations I've been able to have with you guys and, and open up and, and share. It's like, I don't know, realisations and the penny drops and it's like don't feel as heavy and, yeah, it's, it's, it's so complicated and I think like a thing that always gets to me and I want to like talk about specifically is like those age brackets and, and the fact that it does affect a lot more men, you know, in this day and age, you know, and yeah. it's... It's scary, you know, like, I, you know, I've had close friends recently who have been going through stuff who are, you know, middle-aged men who are fathers and seeing how difficult it is for them to open up, you know, and just, just trying to hold space and say, like, it's okay, you know, like, it's okay to feel what you're feeling. Like, that's part of the process. It's part of, yeah, I don't know. With 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 the statistics of men as well. So obviously we said um, for every one suicide, there's twenty more attempts. So yep. with women, so I'll just give like a reference between women and men because obviously the stats for men are really high. Um, to so in general, um, it's a pretty even spread, but two to three times more often, men will successfully commit suicide. Sorry, I don't use the word commit, but um, will be successful with their attempt. Um, This is often because women are said to use less lethal ways. So using pills, um, things like, you know, electrocution in the bathtub, you know, like all all these sorts of things, less lethal ways. Men often... Go to the extreme. Yeah, very common people um, in countries where there's guns available they'll use that or it's more like direct um i guess more more yeah more lethal ways of doing it and that's why that could be why the stats are so high as well women are obviously 
a lot more close-knit with their friends and family sometimes. Like, they'll reach out to mother-in-laws or mothers um, because men well, are like, told sorry to interrupt. not to talk. I, yeah, I was going to say, like, mm. I feel like as well, like, women, like, have that support network with their girlfriends where they can be vulnerable. Like, vulnerability for men is still so, you know, perceived as a weakness. And, like, if you do want to open up with something like that, and God bless you, Mitchell, for the fact that we can have so many deep conversations, um, you know, because... With vulnerability comes growth because you're stepping out of the comfort zone to go, well, fuck, this is how I'm feeling or this yeah. is what I'm going through. And, like, I, yeah, it, it makes sense. And the statistics say it, that women, obviously, like, yeah, they would. They'd have a better understanding of each other because they do have the opportunity and the, the space to speak to each other on a deeper level than what a lot of men do, unfortunately. And yeah, I'm sure sad. there'd be a lot of people out there that have – and this is, like, obviously men are, like we're saying, they don't really talk much about – not all men, but, like – a lot of men don't talk much about their emotions or if you do go to your mates, maybe you're having a beer at the pub and, and like, that's not something you would say to them, you know. Or And a lot of the response, especially here in Australia, would be like, oh, toughen up. Like, what do you mean? You can't do that. you got you got people to look after. You she'll, know what I she'll mean? She'll be it's right, like, mate. And, mate, like, mate. That, that response in itself, like, it's common throughout, you know, a lot of cases where people will say, like, this is what I want to do and people say, like, oh, It'll be fine. Like, things will get better. Things will get yeah. better. And and that in itself, it's like, it's false hope. And I'm not saying that things won't get better. I can also say I don't know if they will. But it's like saying that to people who are going through that doesn't actually provide them with anything apart from you deflecting how they're feeling. And I feel like, obviously, when you're at a point, um, I've been there personally, um, when you're at a point where you do want to take your life or you're thinking about suicide... It's like, this is the end. Like, I can't take anymore. Like, this is it. This is my... And and what that is in itself as well is looking into your future and seeing nothing getting better. Mm-hmm. And like I said, like, I can't predict that not, that anything will get better or it won't. But it's like things will, things are always changing. Things are always, always changing. And it doesn't matter if it's like the slightest bit or massive amounts. You can't predict what's going to happen. And I think making that choice, obviously everyone goes through different things, but making that final choice of like, this will never get better is so hard. Because if, if you're sad or if you're going through something and you're in a really dark space, whether it's, like we said, financial stress, relationships, which is a really high statistic in why people take their life, or depression, anything at all that's leading you to that point, all the evidence that you're basing your future predictions off is negative. You don't have any positive going on in your life to be able to then see positive in the future. So it's it's normal. It's normal to feel like this is not going to get better, but we don't know that. You don't know. You can't make a choice in a moment and predict the future. Like we don't have the ability to do that. And this is why we need the steps. This is why we need those gateways to cross so that if people are thinking about that, they can do certain things to be able to just see even like a glimmer of light in the future at all, even if it's just like the tiniest bit. But it's like not everything in front of you has to be bad just because that's all you know. It's funny, you know, I um, I heard a quote today um, and some people might pick up on it if, when they listen to this, but I'm not going to say where I got it from. But um, it basically just says it's like we are not made of stone. Distortions will happen and we will have the opportunity to change. 
And so like that to me, as soon as I heard that when I was watching this show, I was like, holy shit, we're talking about suicide tonight. Like the fact that like, you know, a lot of people don't see the hope or the light at the end of the tunnel, but like Mm -hmm. the truth is that it's true. We're not made of stone. Like we are, you know, sovereign beings that make decisions on our own. We can decide what we want to do with our lives. Mm. And then when I heard it, I was like, it's so true. Like I remember when I was in my dark place, like I tried to take my own life last year. Two days after my mum's birthday, which she doesn't know about. Sorry, Carleen. Um, I know I'm not that man anymore. Thank you. Um, but I remember like, I'm not going to describe how I tried to do it, but I remember being in my bedroom when I attempted and then, you know, I felt this overwhelming sense and I, I'm Christian, like I'm self-proclaimed, I believe in Christ, but I believe that God or whether it be my grandfather or a spirit just said to me, you've got so much love to give still. Like, why are you doing this? And I remember just coming out of this dark place and being like, I have an opportunity here to, you know, make change. Um, It's blessed to have that almost outside influence as well. Mm. Like, Unfortunately, though, some people don't like, yeah, I've been very fortunate the two times that I've attempted that first time my auntie and uncle who have since passed called me moments before and that saved my life. Mm -hmm. And then this time around it was, and that's why it's divine power to check on people. Yeah. And I know that that's like obviously coincidence or whatever, you know. Yeah. That, whatever you want to believe yeah, it was. Yeah, whatever you want to believe that was. It's like this is why it's important to check on people. Like the amount of – like I pride myself on the fact that I've had this experience with dad because it's like one, it saved my life when I when I tried because that's the, the only thing that stopped me from doing it because I was in such a dark space was I knew, I knew what it felt like to be on the other end of that. I knew, and I knew the pain that I would give my mum or my sisters. After already going through it, I'd then make them go through it again. And it's like, that stopped me. And it was hard. Like, it took months and months and months of me really trying hard to, like, find some sort of happiness in my life to, like, get that self-worth back. But it was just that knowing of how much pain it causes others that, that stopped me from doing it. But I think... And in that, what I've developed from that is, like, I always check on my friends. Like, randomly in in any day of the week, I'll just message random mates and be like, hey, how you going? What are you – like, how are you? What are you doing? How's your week been? What are you doing today? It's like I'd specifically just randomly – Forgive me, you do get – you do pesker me a lot, especially (laughs) because I'm, like, really good at radio silence and not replying, and you're just, like, literally – Because I get worried. And it's not not even, like – it can be with friends – that's obviously something I just have from from when people don't answer. I don't think the worst, but it's like mm. I try and reach out to know to make them know that like they're loved. Yeah, and I'm not I'm mm. not reaching out just because I'm like bored or something. But it's like I genuinely care. And like there's been a couple of times where I've done it, and like my a couple of my friends have been like from different friend groups have been like I really needed this today. Like, because I'll message people and say, like, hey, you're awesome. Or, like, hey, thanks for being a really good friend. And it's, like, just small. So it takes one second out of my life. Sometimes I do when I'm on the toilet. It's, like, it's Mm. literally, like, take five minutes out of scrolling through Instagram and message someone you haven't spoken to in a couple weeks or a month or whatever and just be, like, hey, you're awesome. And, yeah, it's, like, it saved some of my friends' lives. And for me it's such a tiny thing like and we've got this we've developed this habit now where it's like me and my friends both do it to each other like I'll randomly get messages now like hey hope you're having a good day and it's like it literally can change your entire outlook for the day and it's it's just those 
you know, those moments where you think you have no one, it makes you realise that you have someone. Mm. Even if it's just someone to be like, oh, yeah, look, I'm having a pretty shit day. And they'll be like, oh, do you want to talk about it? Mm. I think that's a something to be like very like specific on as well is, is just holding space, mm-hmm. is just listening. Because I know for me when I've been in that place or been seeing someone else go through it, is not like oh you know like you'll be right or like trying to fix the situation for them you know like I, I have three older brothers and yeah you know like obviously a heavy masculine influence so it's like you know it's taken years and we're still working on developing that communication mm-hmm. and you know I only spoke to one of my brothers this week and it was awesome because it was like we both had a bit of event and sort of checked in. And it was really cool. It was like, how you been, man? Like, how have you been? Like, what's been going on? Mm-hmm. You know, and I asked the uncomfortable question. Yeah. Like, like, what's been going on for you? Like, how, how you know, like, not just how are you? I can't, you know, yeah, I'm like, yeah, trying yeah. to get out. And, you know, so we were on the phone for half an hour, 45 minutes. He's like, shit, you know, i got to go to work, dude. But it was like, I could feel the energy in the conversation. Yeah. It was like, went from like, kind of like flat and heavy. And, you know, he'd had a heavy week last week. And, you know, I'd had a bit of shit going on recently. And. Just by allowing each other to just feel out what we needed to feel and just talk about it and not trying to fix it. Yeah. Because I think that's, you know, and, you know, the, the brief things I have read on counselling and whatnot is it's people pick up on that. I know for me I pick up on someone trying to fix it. It's like, well, am I not allowed to feel this then? Mm-hmm. You know, and I think that sort of compounds that issue of like not normalising it. Like yeah. you've been saying, it's like trying to normalise and be like, it's okay to feel sad. And by allowing someone to feel it, allowing someone to really get into it and like, you know, move through it, it's like you see this lightness, you know. It's like it's incredible. I think it's it's so fascinating and I refer a lot of things in my life, you know, to having a nephew at the moment, mm-hmm. you know, and he's such an interesting little character and he's, you know, he's he's going through big changes at the moment. You know, he's got a little sister and... Just a, like allowing him to be seen and allowing him to be heard, he might not still get the chocolate egg that he so desperately wants from Coles. But I tell him, like, I understand, mate. Like, I understand you want the chocolate egg. Like, I want a chocolate egg too. Mm. But I explain to him why. I'm like, you know, if we have too much sugar and this and that, we're going to feel sick. I'm like, do you want to feel sick in the belly and that? If we have, no, no, and he understands it. And his head, I see his brain like, um, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? Processing, processing what I'm saying yeah. rather than just saying like no no you can't like have that which is like in a sense like you can't feel that way it's mm-hmm. like you can feel that and uh, you know there's a few times where he got like a little bit you know because our babies had him the other day and he got a bit angry with me I'm like man I'm not I'm not denying you what you I'm just saying like this is why like you know I'm trying to you know look after you and you know and he understands it. I'm like oh and I see that and then, you know, adults I'm hanging around with, you know, like middle-aged men and, and trying to have the same approach, not treating them like children, but... Explaining and... and yeah, yeah, holding being, space, yeah, allowing people open. to feel like we're so complex but so simple at the same time. <laughs> and I think, I think holding that space for people and, and breaking things down is like you need to... People need to be able to do it more because it... it all it's really doing is like recognizing someone else as like an equal human. Like, hey, I feel this way, you feel that way, it's okay. And I like what you said before about like not trying to fix it because it's like it's not your job. 
Well, and also it's like, are they broken? No. Like, are you? what are you trying to fix? Like, when you try and fix someone, a lot of the time it does come from a place of care, but it's like the most caring you can ever be is just listening. And like... Being the, a shoulder. The, yeah, the yeah. biggest thing I've ever like really taken away from like, you know, obviously processing all of this stuff with dad and like trying to be... Or come, not come out of it, but like adapting to this new version of my life. Um, I've... The one... A big thing I've taken away from it is like when you talk to people, it's like... The word silent and the word listen are the same letters. Yeah. Just spelt differently. And it's like you can't listen to someone if you're talking or if you're waiting to respond and thinking in your head, okay, I'm going to say this because this is going to help them more. I'm going to do this. It's like you're not listening to what they're saying because all you're thinking about is responding or thinking about what you're going to say. Yeah, exactly. And it's like people – and it's normal. Like, it's normal to want to fix people because you care. And it's normal to be like, oh, my God, I want to help. But it's like you need to have space for people, try and hold space for people at least. And then if you want to help or you want to, you know, fix them or help fix, just ask them if that's what they want. Communicate, mm-hmm. you know, like, hey, do you want me to help or do you want me to just Hold be, space for you. Yeah. yeah. Because that right, in yeah. itself is is massive and that, that in itself can save someone's life too. It's like if you're going through something that's hard and you've got people around you all the time being like, oh, you should do this or you should do this or oh, you should try this or you should try feeling this way. It's like I'm already confused. Like I just want someone to listen, you know. It's yeah. like you'll feel more alone with everyone telling you 100,000 different things to try and you'll feel more lost because now instead of 10 options, you've got 5,000 and it's yeah, like yeah, – yeah. But you're right, though. For the most part, like 80, 80% of the time, yeah. 80% of the time it comes from a place of love and care. It's just at the end of the day, like, yeah, like you said, like, are they broken? No. Yeah. Like, do they, do they want you to fix them? Well, that's something you actually need to, like you just said, specify. Yeah. You know, because I know for, like, a lot of instances in my case, like, I've had a lot of people, like, yeah, like Mitch said, giving answers or suggestions, oh, you should do this, well, do this and you'll be fine. It's like, well... That doesn't sit right with my truth. Mm-hmm. That doesn't sit right with who I am and how I usually process things. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I just feel like, yeah, especially when it is such a heavy, heavy topic about suicide and depression and mental health, is and it's only something I've learned to do thanks to Mitch and yourself is is learn how to hold space for others in that dark period because. I remember, like, every time I've ever been in that instance, if someone tries to tell me something, it's just, like, goes in one ear out the other. It's mm-hmm. like, well, no. I still, want to, I still want yeah, to take my life. Like, what you say to me just actually pisses me off even more. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It just makes me hate life even more to think that, like, my clothes, yeah. they're not listening. They're like, but at the same time, like, you've got to also respect the fact that it's hard to be empathetic for people that haven't been there themselves. 100%. And, and like, it is so hard. And this is, I guess, what we're talking about before is like, and we're going to get to is like the tools for, for which we've learned personally um, to navigate those situations. Because like, I know I have mates now that reach out to me mm-hmm. um, because I've shared my story a, a bit and they're like... Um, yeah, good on you for doing that. <laughs> thanks. Massive. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. It, um, it's taken a long time. It, it, but to me, it, it came to ownership. It's owning that. It's owning all the fuck-ups. It's owning all the addictions I had. It's owning all the, the you know, suicidal thoughts I had. But, um, you know, it's just one of those things where you just got to be able to just be there and sit in the moment with someone and just listen. And, like, and if you're not 
experienced that before you like can like with mitch like we have instances where you've experienced something that i've never experienced i'm like well help me understand better so that i can get on that empathetic level and understand it more Mm. but again you've got to be personally i believe you've got to actually have the heart and the capacity emotional capacity to want to to sit in that space yeah Mm. with someone and if you haven't got that that's fine there's no shame in that either yeah Mm. It just means that you've then need to make that make that person aware that they need to seek help. Yeah, I believe personally, it's just support. Yeah, it's hard. yeah support, yeah, support. Like you know, and like bringing it back to what we were saying before about like trying to fix it or anything like that. Is it's like lost my thought. Is yet like you were saying is like is holding space for someone, but also being like like right now I can't hold space. Yeah. Uh, right now, I don't have the capacity, but you got to set the boundaries as well. But like, saying yeah. to someone like that, there is people out there who who pride themselves, who who have dedicated their entire lives to holding space for people. Mm. Yeah, that find so much purpose in that. Someone might find it in building a house. Someone might, you know, do it in helping someone who's having suicidal thoughts. You know, and it's. It's it's so interesting, like you were saying before, like not everyone thinks this way, but my own experience, like through, you know, a lot of it was when I played music, was the amount of kids who would come up or, or people who I'd least expect, you know, because op- I openly had songs that was about hating myself and, mm. you know, like there was a whole album that was like majority of what I wrote was just about going through depression. Yeah. And saying on stage, you know, like the song goes to anyone in the room who, who's thinking of wanting to kill themselves. Like, I just want you to know, like, you know, it's really emotional for me to talk about. It's like, you're not alone. Yeah. And I had a kid come up to me once. I think I might have talked about this on the first podcast as well, but it was like, he's like, man, like you just acknowledging me and saying you see me through your lyrics, like stop me from killing myself three days ago. Yeah, and it was like it was it was so moving because it was like just by acknowledging it, like the nephew, you know, it's like just saying like, yeah, man, I get it. Like that sounds really hard for you. Like, and speaking from my own personal experience, it's like there's able to be this connection, you know. And it's it's I I personally do feel like a lot of people go through this. Yeah, and and there is so much shame. There is like a massive stigma around the word suicide. I've, I've tried to kill myself. I don't have any shame around it anymore. Yeah. Because when I look at where I was at in my life, I'm like, yeah, like in some instances, like it seemed like a logical decision. I was yeah. financially fucked. Like I was emotionally just depleted. I could see no light at the end of the tunnel. You know, the world just seemed like this this dark and fucked up place. Yeah. You know, like, because I was opening myself up to so many new things, like trying to improve my health and then learning about the whole financial system and agricultural system and political issues. And so it was just like, whoa, you know, and so many times I try and talk about these things and it was just like, well, it doesn't, you know, it doesn't fucking matter. Like, why don't you just have a fucking beer, you know? I'm like, no, this is important to me. Mm. Like, I find a lot of purpose in trying to help and try and, like, make the world a better place. Like, why am I heard. getting shamed for trying to – because, again, it's like, you know, that book you, you've lent me and I'm trying to read it is um, by Brene 
Darren Greatly, Darren Brene Greatly, Brown. Like, to anyone listening, like I couldn't think of a better book to read, especially around topics like suicide, is 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 having less shame and being able to be vulnerable is like that book changed my life easily. I want to thank Nikki Palmer for showing me that one. Um, yeah, I was in a really dark place when she gave me that book. And um, yeah, that book to anyone listening, like I could not recommend it anymore. Like it is an incredible read. This um, is the thing too, it's education. Yeah, you know fully. I mean? The things you learn from reading or talking to people or anything. And I want to, I want to go back to what you said about the, the, that kid coming to you and, and saying like, thank you, like listening to you, like saved my life. It's like, it starts as a ki- as kids and it's like, we are, we sugarcoat everything for children. A lot of, not everyone does, but like majority of the time we sugarcoat everything and like, oh, we'll use a specific example, but obviously I've got two nephews now. So my big sister's had two kids and I love them so much. They're amazing. But it's like, my dad is the man in the moon to them. So we've obviously got Grant, like my stepdad and that's their granddad and, but you know, when we talk about our dad, it's like they don't know who that is. He's just someone in the moon. And when we look at the moon, we say, oh, who's in the moon? And they say, oh, Pa, Pa's in the moon. And then when you're, when you're younger, you know, that's, that's fine. They're, the man in the moon is the man in the moon. But then they get older and, and Franklin, the oldest one, you know, he's old enough now. He's, he's so smart and he's, just, he's old enough that, that you have a proper conversation with him. But he asked the question to my sister like, so, you know, Pa lives in the moon and she's like, yeah, he does. And he's like, oh, well, how did Pa die? And it's like, how do you explain to a five-year-old suicide? We can barely talk about it ourselves as adults. And it's like, my sister is, ama- is like literally my best friend. She's so amazing. But she said to him, obviously she's, she's been to that workshop and she said to him, like, you know, Pa was sad and the sadness made Pa's brain a little bit sick and then pa you know died from suicide and obviously it's like as a kid you don't know and like i'm sure there's people that probably disagree with her saying something like that but it's like we need to teach them what that is and she said he said you know like oh well what's that and she said oh well pa made himself not breathe and like franklin's like okay you know like it's not for us it's like oh my god it's so heavy and like yeah it is heavy for them but like also he doesn't you know, he's never met him. He still was sad about it. But you teach kids about what it is when they're younger. And then if they get to a point in their life, older, you know, obviously that age bracket of like 15 to 26, it's not that far off. No. You know, and it it's comes like, around pretty damn quick. Yeah, and it's like if they have the education and like know what it is or, or are aware of it, they can talk about it more or they're more open to talking about it because they've had it spoken about to them and I think like and this is the thing with education and like knowing where to go or what to do in this situation it's so important because the less you know about something the less likely you are to talk to others about it oh well especially like growing up you know going through primary school and stuff like that like if you're not taught about it from a young age like, how you expect to understand it when you become, like, a young adult through your teen years? Like, you and, can't yeah. because like, I remember this isn't on the topic of suicide, but there were so many topics when I was going through high school where my parents sheltered me from, mm-hmm. coming from a Christian background, um, which obviously now isn't the case, <laughs> as Mitch knows. They're quite open. Um, but, you know, there'd be topics that I'd hear in the, in the schoolyard that I had no fucking idea what the kids were talking mm-hmm. about, and I'd have to play dumb as if I did. Yeah. 
like I can't specify one now, but like I, like literally there'd be so many things, or especially a lot of like sexual stuff because yeah. obviously coming from a Christian family, my parents didn't want me to know about it. Yeah. Um, and I think suicide is definitely one of those things where, you know, I guess it is. It's, it, it's an educational thing. I was going to put you on the spot before and say, like, how would you go about, let's talk inner child work. Like, how would you speak to your inner child about suicide? How would you describe it to them? How would you explain it? I guess, that? like, based off what my sister explained to, um, explained to Franklin, it's like the same sort of thing. Like, you obviously can't just outright, like, they don't, they don't know what it is. So you have to. You have to explain the levels of it. So obviously she said, like, you know, Pa was sad and then the sadness made yeah. Pa sick. And it's like... You need to explain it on their yeah, understanding. There's, there's level, yeah, exactly. So you can't be like, oh, you know, he was depressed so he died. It's like yeah. it's it, they don't understand that. So you really... And by, by almost like dumbing it down, for lack of a better way of saying it, or simplifying it is yeah. a better way. It's way better way. <laughs> yeah, simplifying it, it's like... You simplify it for yourself too and you're able to understand it a little bit more. So if I was talking to a child, I'd, I'd do the same thing. I'd be like, you know, when you're sad, sometimes you feel like you can't do anything else to make yourself happy or you don't know how to make yourself happy and sometimes that makes you so sad that you don't want to be here anymore. And it's like that is exactly what it is. Yeah. It's like you feel like you have nothing left or there's nothing you can do. And then going forward from that, it's like, teaching kids what they can do when they're sad so it's like oh if you're sad or you're and I think we've spoken about this before with like kids having tantrums and being like oh you're going in time out like you know it's like shunning shunning the feeling it's like you need to teach them to talk about it and it's like teaching them ways to work through it so if it's like oh I'm sad because of I'm sad because I don't want to share my toy with my brother you say okay well sharing is kind and it's like are you playing like it break things down for them not just like oh get over it kind of thing or like shunning them or, or punishing them for like feeling a certain way and because that's what we do to adults it's like exactly what we've said it's like oh i'm i'm feeling really down it's like oh it'll get better you know it's just negating yeah, like, it's negating yeah, it the biggest one too is like oh yeah life's hard mate you know and it's like yeah life is hard and i'm trying to find some help or i'm trying to like reach out but it's like a lot of people don't give themselves the acknowledgement all the time to, like, process their own emotions. So it is hard to do that for other people. But you've, we've just got to be more aware of, like, reading people and, and reading situations and, and, like we said, holding space and just breaking things down. Like And even, like, asking people, like, okay, well, what is it specifically that's making you sad? Mm. You know, a lot of us go through depression. It's like depression is massive nowadays and it's like and it doesn't have to be long term it can be just like a situational depression where it's like you're running out of money or financial stress relationship stress all that sort of stuff it can be two months two days like but it's like if you reach out to someone it's like oh i'm feeling i'm feeling down it's like okay what is it about what is happening right now that's making you feel down because it by you asking those questions it allows them to process process it as well and like a lot of people will be like oh it's everything everything's going wrong and you think, okay well specifically what like tell Point me tell me what's going wrong because the, breaking things down and making it smaller it's like more digestible so it's like your brain not as overwhelming either about 500 things has to just start thinking about one by one things that so it's like oh okay i broke up with my girlfriend or you know i'm going through stress at work or i hate my job it's like those things you can deal with you can specifically find things that will help that. Maybe it's changing a job. Maybe it's, you know, 
seeing someone or talking, you know, there's so many different things you can do to fit that specific problem rather than just like, I'm depressed. I don't know what to do. It's like, we need to just start simplifying everything. And that's why I say be specific about asking people about suicide because it's like, it's specific. And people, like, if someone says to you, yes, it's like, okay, well, what has brought you to this point? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and, and break it down. Like, we sugarcoat things so much and, like, almost just, like, everything's so blasé these days. You know, it's like you talk about something flippantly and you don't really go into depth with it or, or you don't have time or whatever. And it's like that lack of specificity. Specificity? Specific. 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 Uh, yeah, I'm not even going to try. Lack of, <laughs> lack of specific, specific. topics <laughs> is... Um, like that makes it hard, you know, and it, it makes everything seem so much more scary because yeah. it's like uh, the the best way I can explain it. I think I've said in another podcast that I'm a very visual learner. It's like if you have a million bad thoughts or a million sad thoughts, if you can't pick one out, it will always be a million. You know what I mean? It's like start with one, take that little specific like spaghetti string out of the a thousand or a million. And then it's like, you've got one less to deal with. Yeah. And it's like one by one, you work through things. Just declutter. Yeah. Because mm. it's too, it's too hard. It's too hard to think about everything at once. We don't have the capacity. to. No. It's like your brain is made to think about a problem, deal with the problem, find a solution, move on. And I also want to like say to anyone listening, like one thing that we have learned recently, thanks to where we go, um, to train at the gym is like all all emotions are valid. Yeah. Every emotion is valid. Like if you are feeling that way, you you're you're allowed to feel that way. You know, a lot of people like we were saying before, like with the young kids, like they get shunned and they get put into the naughty corner or like, you know, oh you shouldn't feel that way or, you know, with the negating of the conversation, oh she'll be right, mate, when you're talking to a friend at the pub. It's like no matter what your emotion is valid, sit in it. Think about it, like you just said, figure out where the root comes from. Okay, Mm. why am I feeling this emotion towards this way? So then it does make it not feel as overwhelming for you. And it's hard. It's not easy. You know, it's like sitting in an emotion is, is not it's easy. Uncomfortable. It can be yeah. uncomfortable as fuck. But it's like taking the time to process and then act rationally rather than just like on a whim. I know that people want to fix stuff. And it's like it's slowing down and, yeah, being specific, being present for yourself, being present for others, you know, like just having awareness of like what's going on rather than just constantly trying to like fix things or do something or 
keep moving forward. You know what I mean? Because it's like if you're in a bad space and it's like all the decisions you're making are just making that space worse, you need to slow down because it's like you need to be able to have that full range of perspective where it's like – and this is where gratitude comes into it. It's like my biggest thing for feeling better – even if you're feeling the worst you could ever feel, is like pick one thing that you're grateful for. And I know that a lot of people will say, I don't have anything. But it's like you saying you don't have anything, you're talking to me right now. So it's like you have a voice. Mm. It's like some people are born and they can't speak. So it's like be grateful or be thankful that you have a voice. Or it's like be grateful that you can see or that – if you can't see, be grateful that you can hear. You know, there's always something. Be grateful you have a big toe. Like, I literally don't care what it is. It's like you always have something to be grateful for. And it's like those tiny, minuscule things that seem so stupid. Like, mm. oh, I have a big toe. And but it's like, okay, well, that big toe helps you balance. You know, there's so many different things you can be grateful for that will just for a split second take you away from the fact that you're like deep, deep, deep in a dark space. It's like there is at least one thing that you have. I have a a rebuttal for that. Mm. Only speaking from my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Because like there's been times like with my cousin who I work alongside, um, he'd ask me like, how am I doing? And I'd say to him, I'm terrible. You know, like I'm miserable. I'm depressed. Like I'm, you know, he's like, what do you mean? Like you've got all these amazing friends. And like, and again, like he's saying, but all these things to be grateful for. Yeah. But like for me personally, like, Gratitude is something that I definitely practice every day. Mm-hmm. Um, we write gratitude points on our fridge, self-love points on our fridge and like self-affirmations on our fridge because that's a practice that I've realised like actually resonates with me. But yeah. in regards to the gratitude is like I think in a dark space when I'm getting told what to be grateful for. Mm. Makes it worse. Not necessarily, but it like – well, hold on. I didn't think of that on my own accord. My soul hasn't resonated with that on my own accord, so I'm not necessarily grateful for that right now. This, this minute, yeah, yeah. Um, like I know it exalts her. Like when we go on the gratitude, when we go on the walls, write our gratitude. Jordan or Connor, whoever's there, or Marissa, always say like, take a minute to actually sit there in stillness mm-hmm. and feel what in your heart that you are grateful for. Yeah. yeah. And I know that when I started going to them, that's that's when I was still, you know. That would have been a month after I tried to take my life. Mm-hmm. It took me a while, especially like with the self-love thing. Like self-love is another practice which is is so beneficial for anyone going through a suicide. It's, it's hard as anything, but like yeah. it's something that's so beneficial for anyone going through suicidal thoughts is like, you know, for so long I couldn't stand who I saw in the mirror. I was like, no, don't like that bloke. Mm. Can't stand him. But like self-love and gratitude is one thing that like Jordan and all them would say. They're like actually sit there in stillness and be like, I'm so grateful that I've got a brother that I can hug every day mm. and tell him I love him. Yeah. And I, that, like that right now, that, that's my point of gratitude. Like I, I'm, I so love my brother so much. Mm-hmm. I'm so grateful for him. And then like with self-love, like that was something that I struggled with. And Jordan would be like, just write down a list. Write the biggest list you can. Like even if, like you said before, like even if it's your fingers. But then like when you come to do it on the wall – actually take a step back to go okay what is it actually right now that i'm loving yeah and like i'm not one to really write physical features yeah like my self-love like that i wrote on the thing on the wall was like i'm lo- like I, i'm loving awareness like mm-hmm. my self-love is that i'm loving awareness or that i'm like i love self-love that i'm nature 
Yeah. Like these sort of things. Like I'm getting how, how hippie right now. but No, it's not hippie. Uh, but we like, are nature. <laughs> but it's one of those things. It, it, it's difficult to start with. And I understand where you're coming from with oh, your it's so hard. with your point yeah. that like you know we we do all have so much to be grateful for even in the darkest of places. But it, I think that's why I yeah, say I about just, the big yeah. toe though. You know what I mean? Yeah. It, it's like there is you could be you could have no one. Mm. You could be in a space where you have nothing and you have no one. But it's like I guess I want to coin it the question of it's like. Like I, I personally get triggered by like in similar to what Josh is saying. Is mm-hmm. Like sometimes I'm not grateful for it because I look at my toe and I'm like, you know, that thing's ugly. <laughs> it's bent and distorted from the shitty footwear I've been wearing, yeah. or whatever. It's like a, a big thing I learned in a men's group that I went to because I, I was having very depressive thoughts, and I went with my one of my best friends who's no longer with us who had attempted to kill himself and was going because he was going through cancer and a number of things. And one of the most empowering things, and I think I spoke about this on the, the first podcast, is is eye language. Yeah. So for me now sitting here listening and hearing like what you were just saying is it's like I can hear that like the, the little underlying stories is like I know they're so specific to who you are from who mm. I've experienced you as. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Is Is that – like what Josh was saying is, is I find that hard sometimes because, again, like with that friend, I, I was getting you know sucked not sucked in, but I was getting involved in all these like really empowering movements. Yeah, people who are like helping people with like yeah cancer and like depression and suicide and like help like all this incredible stuff. And I was like, why can't I be grateful? Yeah, and I was like, you just got to you know you got to do this. And I'm like, but I, I can't. Like, yeah. why can't no one just see me? Why can't anyone just, like, hear me out for fucking ten minutes? And I'm like, oh, I'm grateful you listened to me. Yeah. Because even when I was going to Exalto, like, I was, I was finding it really fucking hard to be grateful. Yeah. And one of the things I remember writing was, like, I'm just grateful. I'm aware that I'm not grateful. Yeah. Well, yeah that, good. that is in itself. You know, that, and it's And like, this is what I mean, but, I'm, yeah, like, I think with the great being, like, having gratitude or practicing gratitude, it's like, it, yeah, it doesn't necessarily have to be like your toe or like your <laughs> eyes or so. But it's just like it's it's just pick anything. It doesn't yeah. have to be, and it couldn't. It can be that, or it's I'm grateful that I'm aware that I want to take my own life. You know what I mean? It's just it, all it does is change your perception your of perception. it. Perception. And look, I'm not trying to discredit you on what yeah. you're saying. Before. No, no, no. I fully get that. Anyway. But you make you make a solid point. Yeah. You make a the you fact need, that you, you need said, to feel like, it. I'm grateful. That I'm aware that I'm not grateful. It's like I huge. think as well, it's like still recognizing yourself in some way. Well, I think that the, the most empowering thing I learned from using like eye language is because I used to be someone who's like, when we do this, and uh, and as men or uh, as a society, is it's like, and it's been something I've been really trying to drill into my head the last like eighteen, you know, two three years or whatever is like looking at my internal dialogue and being like. If I switch that one word from we or you or us to I, mm-hmm. I'm like, that's how I see the world. Yeah. That's how I experience it. And by sharing what I experience, you might resonate it or you might resonate with it. Mm-hmm. And then we build a connection. Correct. It's like, like it's, it's so empowering. Like, you know, again, a, a good friend of mine, I'm not going to say names or how I know them, whatever, has been going through a really fucking hard time the last six months. Mm-hmm. And I've been trying to be like so mindful of not giving advice 
and, and if I am like kind of like giving advice, I'm doing bunny ears right now to anyone listening, is like <laughs> speaking from my experience and saying like, oh, like I hear what you're going through. Like when yeah. I went through what I feel is something similar, you know, this is what happened and this is how I felt. And then they're like, oh, yeah, like I, I know what you mean. Like yeah. I went through and it's like all of a sudden there's like this hugely deep connection that's built because it's like, like you were saying, we're sovereign beings. You yeah. know, we, like there's so much we all agree on, but there would still be things we don't agree on. Yeah, and like people you know, could be listening to this right now going, I'm going through a tough patch and what you guys are saying are bullshit. And that's valid. That's so yeah. valid. But um, yeah, totally. Couldn't agree more. It's and just, like if I was to say to anyone listening, like the thing that has helped me the most in the last, you know, few years, like that has been probably one of the most empowering things. Eye language. Language. As well as holding space. It's like, okay, well, this is how, like, again, there was a few months ago when, when Josh and I had moved in together, like, he was going through something. And I remember we were going for a drive somewhere. I can't remember what we were doing. And you were explaining to me something. I'm not going to go into specifics of what it, what it was. I might but, if you refresh my memory. But <laughs> <laughs> there was something that, you know, I, I was seeing that you were going through. And... In my head, I was like, oh, like, I know what that's like, like, and this and that and this. And part of me wanted to just say, oh, you know, it's this man. You know, like, this is, this is why you're going through it. Mm. And I was like, no, nah, like, ask some questions. Like you were saying, I started asking some questions and digging a little deeper. And then all of a sudden, I heard you say some stuff. And I was like, oh, yeah, this is, you struck me with a question. Um, and it, the question, I'm not going to go into the topic, but the question was, is this coming from a place of fear? Or a place of love. Was that the conversation? Another one. It was a different one. Damn, you're good at asking questions. So many. <laughs> Hit me with that yeah, one, Fabio. Yeah, there, it was like, because obviously, like, you know, I, I see things a lot as comes from childhood trauma or comes from things that we've been through. And ooh, 100%, I feel that everything that we go through as human beings is relative to what we've gone through. From, from how I understand the brain works, mm-hmm. from what I've read, is that it's pattern recognition. So we learn something and it's like, well, that's how it is, you know, like, so I'm going to look for that pattern again, you know, like, oh, you know, the most basic example that I ever heard of is you want to buy a new car, you start seeing that car everywhere. There's not any more of those new cars. It's just your brain has become aware of that pattern. I think. How many troopies do you see at the moment? Oh, so many, (laughs) so many. It's sick. But coming back to this conversation Josh and I had had, it was like, I was seeing a pattern, but that was my pattern. Do you know yeah, what I mean? True. It was like yeah. my pattern I was seeing in him because the way I see the world is I am God. I am the grand organised design. I am that that is above and below, within and without. There is no separation. Everything here, in my experience, is a reflection, you know, and how deep do I want to go? Like, But this conversation, I was like, well, I dug a little deeper and I probed a little bit and all of a sudden... I remember you having this like massive realization. You were like, "Holy fuck, dude! Like, I didn't, I didn't know that's where it came from." And it was like something you hadn't even thought of from when you were like, "Was this something to do with my like my? Oh, this had something to do with my career." Was no, something, no I, I can explain the specifics if you're okay with it. I think it was yeah. Good too. Well, it was yeah. around. It was around shame. It was around like what you had said to me. You'd oh. experienced with women and oh, uh, yep. yeah. Feeling not good enough, and it was specifically a girl that was living with you guys and was in exchange. When I lost my virginity, yeah, yeah, and I had no idea about that story. Yeah, had absolutely no fucking idea. I think it's my twelfth one now. (sighs) But yeah, it was like 
it was a really like it was an awakening experience for me to experience that and be aware and just be like, holy shit. Well, I need to thank I you for that because I was in a dark spot. The questions too, like what we were saying earlier. I'm sorry, I'm just back. <laughs> well, <laughs> the, the, well, yeah, that's right. It's asking questions because at that questions. point, Mitch, Mitch did. He probed so deeply because I was in a dark spot, but it had nothing to do with me losing my virginity to this girl. But a lot of this trauma that I'd pent up over the years that, took me into the depressive state of like lacking self-worth came from this experience I had with this woman mm. and I had no idea about it until Mitch started probing, probing, probing. I went, oh, yeah, you're right. I went, holy shit. And I think that's I have no self-worth too. because of that, that exact night. Yeah. Mm. Cause it's, you never on your own or just like, or you can do it on your own. But like, if you don't ask those specific questions, like we were saying, it's like, how are you meant to go back that far? Like, if, especially if you're in pain or if you're sad, you don't want to go back and try and figure out where it's come from all the time because it's like you can't. It's it's mere impossible because it's like it's so painful to look back, or it's also so jumbled together. You know, like I was saying about those a million thoughts. It's like it's so hard to to find a point where it all began. You know, especially if it does come from childhood trauma. But it's like when by you asking those specific questions, it allows then you, Josh, to process that. Gives me the space. Yeah, oh, yes, this, and this go is. through your head in a way that's not like overwhelming because you're just talking to someone. And this links right back to like this whole topic of suicide. It's like whether you're the one going through it or whether you're the one wanting to find out whether your friends going through it. It's and again, like we said, like don't feel. Like it's you're obliged to do it if you can't if you don't feel like you have the tools to hold the space for for your friend or you know but it is asking those questions and and slowly just picking the scab off not I don't want to say picking the scab off because then you leave an open wound but <laughs> digging digging that little bit deeper to get to the core of where this emotion and feeling is coming from mm. um, I know that it's helped me a lot the fact that since moving in with Mitch is the fact that he does ask really deep. Um, questions that aren't intrusive yeah, into God, my personal bitch. life. That, 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 <laughs> no, they're, they're not intrusive, but the questions that he asks are worded in a way that does make me self-reflect to the point where I have these realisations. And again, like I said earlier, I'm so grateful for that because it, it has made me so aware of a lot of the things that I haven't been able to move through and a lot of insecurities that I once, you know, I didn't think I had. Which I find so interesting because it's like, I don't feel like I've ever once tried to maybe once or twice give you advice because I personally want to respect your psyche, your sovereign being. I want to respect your psyche and your sovereign being and realize like this is my experience Mm. and that's their experience. As much as I find it frustrating when someone like, I feel like they're intruding on Mm. who I am, you know, like they're intruding on like how I see the world, you know, like I personally like, really find a lot of resonance with like astrology and that's only been in the last you know eight months you know thankfully to my beautiful partner like and when i look into that it's like holy fuck like whether it's that whatever subscription you subscribe to like we are i personally feel like we are all so different Mm. we all like i feel like we all have all different cultural backgrounds uh like family upbringings like economic upbringings like what social class if you want to class people you fit into like 
all those things like it's it's so i i see it as so complicated but i personally feel like the solution can be so simple let's talk let's talk about solution well not solutions but you know I know our producer. Effective and efficient ways to move through. I know, I know our producer, so yeah. he's going to be like, all right, guys, you've got 15 minutes. Let's wrap this up. So I think it's a good time to, to personally all share things that have helped each us individually to, to move through these uncomfortable things. Ladies first thing is like, obviously, I'd love to, like, because to be honest, like, yeah. I'm sure myself and, and those listening would love to know, like, how yourself personally, and not necessarily like, your family as well, but like how you have gotten through and helped your family get through what you've been th- like this whole ordeal with it's, your dad. It was a painful, long process, but um, in a roundabout way, it, it was I was just becoming more aware of what was going on in my head. So when I was younger, it was obviously like I obviously had to have time to like process what I was going through. Um, but you know, like you were saying, a lot of, a lot of things that happen in our adult years come from childhood trauma and like even touching on that, like I know that my dad was like, he was brought up in a heavily Catholic family, you know, it's like a very structured kind of family unit and there was a lot of pressure on him. Like, you know, he lied about the fact that he was taking drugs and like nobody really knew that apart from us and it was like this massive thing where... Yeah, he wasn't able to be open. And I think for me too, it was like I replicated that in my adult years or like going into my adult years. You know, I started taking drugs and it was like almost like I was embodying what he did because I wanted to know how he got to the state he got to, which was like very unhealthy. But it was like I was like almost embodying a ghost. You know, I was like I, I – my dad was my best mate and it's like I tried so hard to like – and it was a subconscious thing. Like I, I was subconsciously trying to figure out how he got to where he got to by replicating the same things. And I appreciate my time doing drugs and being heavily addicted to drugs. You know, I got into a really bad financial state with gambling, which he did. And it's like, you know, I ended up with no money. I ended up making some very bad decisions to get money, which I will not go into in this podcast. But it's like I did all of these things to put myself in rock bottom and when I got there, I was like, what the fuck have I been doing? Like, I was running away from what was going on in my head. I was doing everything I possibly could to get away from it. And it's like when I finally sat down and was like, how am I feeling? Or why am I doing this? It was like so overwhelming. But I did that specific thing of like take small chunks or small things and deal with that. I really like that, hey? Yeah. A and, lot. and But it like... It's not easy. It, it changed my entire life. Like I admitted to doing drugs and I told my family and it's like I admitted to like very shameful things that I've been through, like getting abortions or like do, whatever. It was like uh, there was so much that had gone on in my life that I hid away from not just other people but from myself too, you know, like by not telling other people I was hiding it from me. And it's like I took those small things to say, okay, well, I've got financial strain, addiction, all these things. I was like, okay, well, I'll pick addiction. So it's like... I stopped doing drugs and it's like that helped obviously um and then from that I was like okay well my relationship's not working because my relationship's based purely on the fact that we both do drugs so it's like got rid of that and it's like not easy decisions it's like I had to fight myself to do it but it's like I chose things in my life that I knew 
maybe weren't putting me in that state but weren't helping me get out of it. Yeah. And it's like I got rid of them and then I chose something else and it's like, okay, well, what am I doing with this? Or like is my job making me happy or mm. sad? And if it's making me sad, then get rid of it. If it's making me happy, okay, well, we'll stick with that one. And it's like, okay, well, how are my relationships? It's like pick specific topic. I pick specific topics that or specific things in my life, specific things, Jesus, <laughs> specific things in my life that helped me process the big picture. Yeah. So it's like all of these little things that made up Ailish or made up my story of who I am, I changed yeah. one by one. And it's like those, that, that whole thing. And this, I'm talking, you know, 15 years of work. It's not yeah. like I was just like, or like 10 years of work. Um, but also in that, I wrote things down. Like I found journaling. So I've got a book hopefully coming out in the next couple of months if I get my ass into gear. But it's 10 years of like me doing this, of me processing and me developing things. And, and the biggest thing I can ever take from it or I will ever take from it is that during this process I realised that I may feel things and I may think things, but I am not what I feel and what I think. Yeah, It's like these things will happen because I'm just reacting to stuff or reacting to past trauma or dealing with things in the moment, but it's like I am not what I think. And I am not what I feel. They're just parts of me. Yeah. They don't make up my whole being. And it's like that to do with suicide as well. Like, you know, my dad obviously struggled with addiction and, and you know, he got in so much debt, like had so much debt to deal with when he died. And it's like he left his family for drugs and like a mistress, you know, there's all these things. And it's like I know even though I can't talk to him, that's like based on getting older and understanding how life works and how we work, it's like – he thought that that was him yeah. and he thought that like, you know, he was – and he used to speak – towards the end of his life, he used to speak out things like in third person. Like he would write letters to us or like ring us on the phone and say, Daddy loves you and like, you know, Daddy misses you. And it's almost like he was talking like it wasn't him anymore. You know, it's like just remember that you know that Daddy loves you. Mm. And it's like why are you saying that I love you? Like it's like Daddy does this now and like – Daddy is doing this and it's like in that sen- in those sentences alone, it's like I understood now that I'm an adult, obviously not then, but it's like now as an adult I understood that like he thought that he wasn't that person anymore. Mm. And it's like all those bad decisions that he made was who he was and it's like that wasn't it. And it's sad because it's like the fact that he thought that made him do what he did and, and probably made him think that he wasn't, worth anything anymore or didn't have anything left to give because all he was was those bad decisions and it's like I feel like that's such a a massive thing for us it's like we are not the things we do we're not the things we think we're not the things we feel like yeah they affect us but that doesn't define who you are as a person and I think if you wade through those things slowly you'll start to realize that it's like you can be anything you want 100% you can do anything you want you can think anything you want but it's like you have that choice yeah. And it's like you can't let your story define you. And I don't. And if I did, I would not be here. So. Yeah. I couldn't agree sure. more. Mm. Yeah. Thank you so much. But yeah, that's all right, guys. <laughs> I really, really appreciate the fact that you're able to, you know, come on to a platform like this and, and share such a significant portion of your life. And like, I didn't cry. Yeah, so I know. Good. I'm so proud of you. I'm so good. <laughs> um, I did. Yeah. Yeah. You cried for me. 
a little bit. No, it's good. I think like oh, it's been enough time now. I cry a lot. I think like crying weird. I can, I can only I can only speak <laughs> on my experience having known you since I was like fourteen. But like from the time that I've known you and the fourteen years I've known you, like I'm sure that your dad would be so proud of you and what you've accomplished and what you've Thanks. come and the message that you, you're now able to share with others that may be going through what you've been through. Um, That's really kind of you. Thank you. I look, I've, I love you and I have, like, we've been really close friends since youth group, but I really didn't know much about your story until really recently since we decided to do this and take this mm. leap to be vulnerable with the public. Yeah. You know, and I just think... Yeah, take, welcome to my life, guys. <laughs> it, ta- it, it, it takes a lot of courage and it, it, takes a, it takes that leap to be vulnerable with absolute strangers. It gives people... I, I personally feel like it gives people courage. Yeah. Mm. Like that, that's one thing I've learned, especially, again, bringing it back to when I played music. Yeah. Was I, I realised that the more I had the courage to be vulnerable, it, it created... <laughs> Again, referencing Tyler Inglis, I hope you listen. Like I hope he listens to this. Is like when we have the courage, or when I have the courage to be vulnerable, it creates an environment where others can do the same. Yeah, yeah, because you're not alone. Like if I have the courage to cry in front of someone, they're gonna cry with me. Oh man, you've made you know? me cry that many fucking times. <laughs> oh my god! But it's it's awesome. Like like I'm so grateful to have a mate that I can be that vulnerable with. You know, and, and like knowing that we're going to have to wrap it up is like one thing I want to say to people, like the thing that helps me the most to hold space for people is like being present in myself. Mm-hmm. So one thing I do is like if I start to notice like my mind wanders because there's like a, a heavy topic that they're sharing, I come straight back to my hands or my nose and I like I feel my breath and I open my eyes and I look in there. You know, and, I, and I, I feel and I'm like, oh, like all of a sudden I'm feeling this tension in my chest and this knot in my stomach. And it's like, oh, I'm picking up. I'm yeah. picking up with their foot and down, yo. Yeah, like, and like, it's like, whoa, like, yeah. Anyway, I think for me, like with what I experienced, because I, was, I wasn't diagnosed with depression when I was 15, but I went to a doctor to seek medical advice. Um, the tools I had back then were nothing. I had nothing. But now looking back over the last 18, 24 months, um, you know, I'm so grateful for my family, first and foremost. Mm. Um, you know, when I lost my grandfather two years ago, that was turning point for my mental health. Yeah. I was just lucky that my partner at the time, although as bad as I was for her, she was really supportive and really helped me out. But, you know, having since ended that relationship and moving into this factory, I was on my own trying to figure out how the fuck am I going to get myself right. Um, you know, was looking at my environment and seeing what, okay, what parts of my environment can I change yeah. in order to help myself be a higher person? Um, I also had to learn the fact that is it coming from a place of pain or is it coming from a place of pleasure? Like, am I doing these things, you know, out of resent for someone or something or, you know, in order to get back to someone or something or, you know, the fear of losing yeah, someone or something? Yeah. Something. Or am I doing it because I genuinely love myself enough that, like, this is serving myself as a higher purpose? Um, You know, I went from personally watching heaps of TV, which I do now, (laughs) again, guilty pleasure is anime, and I have no shame in that at all. Um, But taking, removing myself from numbing out on TV to reading books. Because I've never read books. I hated reading books in school. Hated it. 
reading books that I felt resonated with what I was going through in order to make me realize that what my everything I was going through was valid. Um, we've said it in so many podcasts, and I'm such an advocate for it, but breath work and cold water and ice immersions, like Wim Hof, like mm-hmm. getting introduced to Wim Hof changed my life. Honest to God, changed my life. Yeah. Um, ice warrior. Oh, man, Ice Man Wim, like Uncle Wim, my goal is to interview you because you honestly have changed my life. Um, but, like, it's one of those things where you just got to – I believe personally and what helped me was to stop, not abide to the rat race in which we live in day to day, which is the nine to five, um, and take a step back and be like, okay, what what is it that I'm passionate about? You know, what is it that I love – because if you can find the things that you love and bring joy to your soul, even in the darkest of moments, whether it be a painting, whether it be listening to a song, whether it be reading a book, whether it be for me surfing or, you know, I do love playing guitar now with Mitch, you know, it's just those little things can slowly start opening that door that little bit more or what I've experienced open my door a little bit more so I could step out of the darkness and into the light. And another thing is taking ownership, I, know, I learned. Taking ownership yeah. of, of the shit. I think as well, I just want to quickly touch before we end about what you were saying about finding things that you like or that you enjoy. If you can't do that, like because that's quite hard for some people, if yeah, you can't definitely. do it, reverse it. So like what I think what you should do or like what you could do is like find things that you don't enjoy yeah. and then work backwards. Like, yeah, 100%. Yeah, I do that a lot. Mm, that helps me. 100%. Like for me, like <laughs> I realised that, as much as I had fun doing cocaine, I hated the ramifications from it. Mm. And like anyone that's heard my story before on other podcasts or anything realised that I was addicted to coke and pot. Mm. And yeah, I loved the feeling that I had in the moment, but I hated how it affected my friendships, how it affected my relationship, how it affected my work. And then I realised, well, shit, that's something that's external out of my soul that I can remove, Mm -hmm. which then helps me then build myself into being a the better version of Josh. And so like, again, like I said earlier to anyone listening, any emotion that you feel is valid, sit in that emotion and embody it for that brief moment, but don't attach yourself to it and be like, this is who I am because it's not. And ask for help. And don't, yeah, feel no shame in Mm -hmm. asking for help. Like shit. I'm sure I'll speak. I don't know if I'm speaking on behalf of all three of us, but like I always open the door up to anyone that wants to reach out to me through Instagram or Facebook. Absolutely. And just, Text, call, whatever, and just talk because I went through the stage where, you know, I was so grateful for the people that I had. And if you feel like you've got no one, well, you've listened to this podcast now and you've got three people sitting all next to each other that inbox is open. And we may not be able to answer the questions, but we're there to hold space for you. And we're like, I want to say as well, I'm still going through it. We I'm all are. I'm yeah. not going to yeah. sit here and say I've got it all figured out. But yeah. if I'm able to sit and share with someone... Like I want to feel connected to someone else and, and realise that I'm not alone in my shit. Mm. And be like, Definitely. fuck, someone listening's going through what I'm going through and we can get through it together. We are, we are all connected. I love that word connection and connected. Like anything to do with connection is what I'm so passionate about and being connected to you two lovely people is incredible. So again, if anything's triggered you over this podcast, we're going to have to wrap this up. We, I'm sure we'll touch on a lot more of this topic later, but um, Beyond Blue... And Lifeline, give them a call. They're, you, you know, your registered helplines. Lifeline's number is 131 114, and Beyond Blue is 1300 224 636. And then, if you feel like you want to get on a more personal level, 
find us on Instagram. Even message the Human Beings podcast Instagram, and one of us will, will reply. Guarantee it. We love you. We love you all, and we really You're hope loved. that if, yeah, you are loved. Always remember, you are loved. Amen, yeah. Alich. <laughs> Until next time, people. Any final words from you two? No. Peace. Peace. <laughs> Bye.